Allen FM on 105 FM, uniting our community. Welcome to the business community here on Callan FM. I'm Heather Noble. And I'm Tracy Jones. So our topical discussion this week is about an article that we, we both saw independently. And uh, when we brought to the planning meeting, yes, we do plan, as we yes. said before. Yes, um, It's an article in the Forbes uh, magazine online called Best Places for Business. And the thing that make, made it stand out, and in fact, probably the reason why it ended up in both of our inboxes, was that the UK comes out top here. Which is incredible when i when i read the headline it said that we were amongst the top 25 and i thought oh well you know that sounds interesting out of 153 and then when you look at the list for us to be top you just think well hang on a minute that's pretty good. This is pretty blooming good and worthy of a mention. Yeah, so um, the best place for business, according to this article, um, at the present time, and it's the first time we've actually topped the list, so should should yeah. mention that. Yeah. Um, so what is the list of? Um, so I picked up that it's um, a range of 15 factors which are analysed between all the countries, as you say, there's 153 on the list, and... They're, they're looking at it from a very business-oriented point of view. So they're looking at property rights, innovation, taxes, technology, and that would be presumably largely corporation tax, but I don't know whether there's an element of income tax or mm-hmm, an, mm-hmm. any other taxes involved. Technology, corruption, freedom, personal trade and monetary, red tape and investor protection. So what did you think of the rest of the list? Well, I... I well... Uh, the thing that going back to the UK, the thing that I thought that was really interesting is that we scored particularly well on two counts, and one was on technological readiness. We, we were fourth, um, and th- this is one that really interests me, um, particularly with what I do for a living: the size and education of its workforce. We came third, so that means we got a lot <laughs> of people. There, the size of the workforce, yeah. not each individual. No, no. <laughs> No, 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 not no. That's a whole well-being thing that we need to talk about later. But, um, but I thought that was really interesting because repeatedly we hear this this story about a skills gap uh, and how it's very difficult to get people with the relevant um, training, knowledge, education, etc. And yet, there we are, ranking third in the world for. Um, the education of our of our workforce. I just thought that was a really interesting yeah. one. And and looking at the list as a whole, you may be surprised at some inclusions and some that are missing from the list. Actually, mm-hmm. so number one was the UK. Number two was New Zealand. Um, ever since I've seen the film Hunt for the Wilder People, um, I've always been quite tempted by New Zealand. Oh, I've not yet seen that. It's on, yeah, yeah, it's put on, it on my your list. list. Okay. Uh, number three is uh, the Netherlands. Number four is Sweden. Uh, number five, Canada. Number six, Hong Kong. Number seven, Denmark. Number eight is Ireland. Nine is Singapore. And number 10 is Switzerland. Now, remembering that these are all looking at sort of business reasons um, and, and the factors all involve things that are good for business. However, the, it, I, it sort of led me on to thinking, actually, um, a couple of those on there that I'd thought, actually, I'd read somewhere that they got really good quality of life. Mm-hmm. Sweden being one mm-hmm. and uh, I'd read that Norway was good somewhere but that actually doesn't appear uh, until number 15 which is actually still quite high on mm. the list of 153 um, so it, it sort of prompted me to go in a different direction what did it make you s- start to look at? Well I think that what you hit on there is really interesting because if you start to look then further down the list China is number 66 now okay 
you know, there's a whole load of issues around um, what China is like as a country to live in, but we're we're led to believe that, you know, they're leading the world and, you know, they are the best place to run business and set up business, et cetera, et cetera. And yet they, they sit at 66. So I think that the balance on this list is is really interesting again because it's it's a it's a holistic list. It's not just the yeah. financial. It's it's you know, it's not just if you if you set up there you'll make loads of money. It's it's a much more holistic approach to to business, and I think that's really interesting. And I think that is good because running a business isn't just about how much profit you make. Totally, it, it's it's a, a network. It's about the community and the environment, and so many factors involved, as, and so many stakeholders yeah. as well. Yeah. That yeah. you can see why this list is a little surprising in some areas. Yeah, I mean, another one is the United Arab Emirates, which is at thirty-one again a massive emerging uh, or, or in the last 20 years you know massively emerging area for businesses to open up offices and have a presence and yet you know it's it's a third of the way down the list and there we are sitting at the top so the other thing that it led me on to so I said I, I got diverted yes, in my research yes, here yep. is I, I looked at Sweden and I know that I'd, I'd read articles before about Sweden being a great place to live um, their health care um, low and um, well virtually zero childcare costs paid parental leave some of the happiest people in the world live in Sweden. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, I did a little bit of a search and I came across a quality of life report by the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, which is shortened to OECD. You've probably heard of them. Okay. So this report was back from 2015. So I thought, well, actually, um, is there anything more recent? And I came across their website, which is called OECDBetterLifeIndex.org. Going back to the report from 2015, the Quality of Life report ranks countries based on work-life balance, financial wealth and quality of the environment. And at the top of that list was Norway, which I said was yes. 15 in the uh, best places for business. So yeah. actually Norway, work-life balance, financial wealth, quality environment and a good place to do business, sounding quite positive to mm -hmm. me. Um, and one of the reasons why it's the top of the list for the OECD is that the majority of people, of people in Norway have paid jobs. There's a high level of education and the life average is 82 years. Wow. Very good. Um, Iceland comes in second with low unemployment and pollution, followed by Switzerland, Australia. And this one surprised me on this list. The United States is number five on the list for quality of life. And that's largely based on the fact that there's a high average household income. So the average household income in the US is $49,355 per year. Crikey, uh, that, that must be... I mean, that's an Skewed average, isn't somewhat, it? Yes, yes, think, so, yes. Uh, yes, that's that's really interesting. So finishing off the list of 10, we've got Canada and Sweden. So Sweden's coming out really good here, Netherlands as well, and New Zealand and Denmark. And they all appeared in the um, best places for mm, business as well. Mm, so mm. Uh, if you're thinking of emigrating, just have a look at these lists. And if you're if you're into numbers and looking at stats as and you things are, like that, Tracy, as I am, as I'm afraid, are. yep. Um, then take a look at the OECD website, the Better Life Index website. So it's OECDBetterLifeIndex.org. And there you can compare well-being across all the countries. It's a really interesting website. So one stat I picked up is that 13% of people in the UK, when answering questions about work-life balance, 13% of them said that they work very long hours. 
compared to just long hours. This was very long hours. And um, if you've got the time, you can submit your own answers to the Better Life Index and also take part in their survey. So that's a great opportunity to, to interact and, and, yeah, and be part of that data. So then it, it really is real data, isn't it? You're listening to The Business Community on Callan FM. And if you want to hear today's show again, you can go to the Listen Again service on the Callan FM website, callanfm.com. Today's show will be available from tomorrow for one week. And there's also all of the previous shows, so many, that'll be three after this one, on www.thebusiness.community. And the archive will remain there in perpetuity for so long as we carry on paying the subscription. Heather, this is the section where we talk about um, events and news. What have you got for us? Right, I'm going, I'm going, for, I'm going big on social media um, in terms of events this time. Um, looking further afield, I don't know about you, but I use social media a lot. I know that I could use it much more efficiently for my business. And I think there's always scope for a bit of a refresher, a bit of a reminder, a bit of a push um, to, to make things a bit better. So I'm looking at Manchester on Monday, the 22nd of January. This is an event that's running 10 till 1 at Manchester Central Library. And it is social media for business. Um, it's it gives you tips and examples of how to engage on social media and looking at simple methods to increase the effectiveness of your content. And also looking at those paid for services that seem to increasingly now on Facebook in particular, it's always saying boost this post and pay for this and do this and do that. I don't really understand what I need to pay for and what I can actually legitimately do on my own. So I think that's a really interesting one. That's 10 to one, 10 till one on the 22nd of January. That's in Manchester. Then sticking with the social media theme, looking at uh, LinkedIn, because, again, it's something that we tend to use um, and think that it's it's a place where, you know, if you're looking for a job, it might be a good place to go. But actually, there's loads that you can do to engage with potential clients, suppliers, um, get involved in groups and and what we used to call chat rooms, you know, those sort of networks. Uh, And so this is an event that is taking place in Chester. On Monday, the 29th of January, it's from half past 12 till four o'clock. And this is all about using LinkedIn as a powerful marketing tool. And the workshop covers how to build an impressive profile, plan your strategy for LinkedIn. I don't even know where to begin. Um, Find suitable networks of contacts, create and develop opportunities, generate more leads. That's something that we're all interested in. And avoid cold calling and get straight to the decision maker uh, within minutes. So that's actually being very targeted. Uh, So that's taking place um, and it's being run by Cheshire and Warrington Business Growth Programme. So if you want to find out more about that programme and you also want to find out more about the event, then you can just get in touch with businessgrowth at chester.ac.uk. yeah, I think that's I think that's that's a, that's a really good one. Yeah, I like the sound of that myself. Yeah, I do. And then also, I, I've, I've dropped a bit of a boo boo here, but I th- this does sound like a really good event. But due to technical uh, issues here in the studio today, I'm not able to confirm the date. But it is in the next couple of weeks, and this is an evening event um, taking place in Chester. Uh, uh, it's at the Common Hall Social. And it's about growing your business, but it's looking very much um, at the different ways that you can do that. So there's franchising, 
Um, there's revenue, you know, increasing your revenue um, and looking at the performance of your team and how that can grow your business. So th- there's a guy called Alan Hyams who's going to be speaking uh, and also a guy called David Milton of Hillier McEwen and also Robert Dancy. Each of them sound like they're experts in their fields and it sounds to me like a really good uh, op- uh, event so certainly worth having a look at and i promise that when when i put the link on the You'll website put the i'll on, put the date yes yeah, sorry well. about yes. that it's just me being a bit of a, a goon but <laughs> um but you can find that event on eventbrite um as well so it's um, called uh, growing your business growing your business in yeah. chester yeah. Yeah. sometime yeah. in the very near future it is literally in the next two <laughs> weeks yes yeah. okay so i was looking through the the news and in this section i i happened across the office of small business commissioner have you heard of the small business commissioner I have heard, I mm-hmm. have heard, I know little about it. So but. he was appointed only last October right. to champion the voice of small business. And it was heralded as, as quite a thing, um, long overdue perhaps. There are organisations that do champion small business as well, so I'm not sure where the overlap is. There isn't a vast amount of information on the website, um, but apparently part of the role will be helping small businesses to resolve disputes with larger businesses and to help drive a cultural change in payment practices. Uh-huh. And that is largely what's focused on on the website. Mm-hmm. So the website is www.smallbusinesscommissioner.gov.uk and the website contains advice on handling unpaid invoices. And... To be honest, that's the sort of stuff that you can find on any business website. So I I think that's already out there. And I was a little underwhelmed when I first looked. However, um, they have a complaints handling service for SMEs. Um, And if you're a small, medium enterprise, you can complain to the commissioner um, if you meet these criteria. If you've got fewer than 50 employees, if the payment was due within the last 12 months and you've already tried to resolve the issue with your customer. Okay. So what you do is you email your complaint to the Small Business Commissioner via the website, mm-hmm. and the details that you need to send are actually um, listed on the website. So you, you fill out an email. It's not a form. You actually have to write your own email, but follow the list of details that they want. What you will get then is an automated reply just saying that yeah. they've had the email and then you are guaranteed a response within two days to say whether the office will take on your complaint and if they do take on your complaint you will be assigned a caseworker. Okay. Sounds really interesting because it's that's kind of like the big boys versus the small guys which sometimes you can feel like what's the point yeah. but it sounds like you've got an advocate who will actually Absolutely. move things forward. It's yet to be proven. I was looking for some um, evidence you know, of people that have gone through this yet but it's still really, really new so I'd be yeah. really interested to follow this. Um, one thing to note is that the recommendations are not legally binding. However, um, they they will give you recommendations should you need to then go to court. So they they will give you that support. So um, it's new. I'm going to keep my eye on it. I'll I'll keep you updated as we go through the year. But this is the Small Business Commissioner and the website is smallbusinesscommissioner.gov.uk. Callan FM on 105 FM. If you have any news stories or business-related events that you'd like to share, then do get in touch. You can email us, info at calonfm.com, or you can telephone 01978 293 393. 
visit the website, which is thebusiness.community, or find us on social media at www.facebook.com, the business community on Callan FM. You are the community, so we really would appreciate some engagement. Um, if you use any of those methods, um, leave us a message on the um, contact page of the website mm-hmm. or as a comment on each of the episodes. We have opened the comments. Keep them kind if you don't mind. Or at least constructive. Constructive will do. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, we mentioned last week that uh, if you have got any comments that you'd like us to put as testimonials on the website, then we would happily put your name against it and a link to your website as well as a thank you. So this is the part of the show where we get to talk about books. Love we love books. our books, don't we? Yeah, um, we were just talking off air about um why we choose a particular book or why one uh, we think is great and maybe somebody else doesn't and it's actually the book that we're talking about today really resonated with me at a particular point in time where the content was really really relevant Mm -hmm. and so I, I now hold it very dear in my heart and I could tell when I looked at Heather she was like yeah it's all right it's a book (laughs) <laughs> yeah so the book is the dip yeah the dip by seth godin or godan however you you want to say it and it's it's strap line is the extraordinary benefits of knowing when to quit and when to stick and i i think that that trace is absolutely right if you are if you are in that moment of knowing whether to you know whether to stay or go make a change or stay as you are this book is really going to be helpful. Um, and he labels that moment as the dip and kind of choosing which way to go. Uh, and, and there are lots of examples and, and stories about um, what you might do or what you might not do. But Trace is absolutely right. At the, I'm fortunate at this moment in time, I don't feel that I need to, to make that decision, but it was a very interesting and useful read. Good. I'm glad about that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think, Craigie, why, why, why is she making me look <laughs> at least at this? it's quite short, so that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, again, it's another short book. Um, and I mean, I've got about a million post-its in it because there are things that I know in, in time, I will revisit this book and I want the post-its to mark the bits that are most um, relevant to me. He spends a lot of time talking about what the dip is and when the dip is, uh, and the, he's got um, the cliff and the cul-de-sac, and you know it's it, it's a construct that he goes into a lot of detail about. Uh, but I thought I'd just pick a couple of short references, if that's if that's uh, okay. Um, one thing he says is the reason that big companies almost always fail when they try to enter new markets is their willingness to compromise. Mm. And so he talks quite a lot about being focused, you know, and knowing what you're good at, knowing what your product is, knowing what your offering is and sticking with it. Sometimes the temptation to waver and to change things is n- it's not the right thing to do. Sometimes it absolutely is. And sometimes it's not. And I, I just thought that was a really interesting thought. Yeah, actually, yeah. stick stick with it. At least then you know what you're dealing with. Yeah, the, the bit that I picked out um, in this particular time of my life, I'm struggling with the business, but you're not sure totally whether you're struggling because that's just the normal part of setting up a new business, whether what you've got to do is power through and, and work harder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We all know that setting up a business is hard work. At what point is that hard work going to pay off? Or is it just 
busy fools. Are you holding and, your nerve yeah. or are you wasting your time? Wasting your time, yeah. yeah. And that is a really difficult call to make. And, and one that, reading this book, I used it twice, actually. Um, and the first time... I, with my business partner, we reviewed where we were and we thought, no, this is the one we need to push through. We're in a dip, but we believe in in the pro- product, in the project. We're going to push through and it's hard work and let's go. But about 12, 18 months later, we reviewed it again and we, we both got the sense that this was a dip that was just going off the edge. Yeah. And this was a, a really important um, time for us to make that decision. And where I found the book really useful was one is making that choice. Yeah. Is this a dip you, you power through or a dip where you have to let go? But it's also the reframing of what it means to quit. Yeah. And I think that's so important because so often the idea of quitting is associated with um, failure. We, you know, it's winners don't quit. Yeah, yeah. I haven't got tenacity. Yeah. I'm not a quitter. not got staying power. Yeah. And, and actually, Seth makes the point that that idea holds us back because quitting, in some cases, is an essential tool to progression. Mm. And he very rightly says, and I've since then been looking into other research, um, that winners quit unfrequently. And it seems to be quite um, a theme with entrepreneurs. Yep. You don't always see the stuff that they quit. You, you, only you hear see about when the they're success. really successful. Yes. Yeah. But along the way, for a really successful entrepreneur, there's probably been a series of projects that they've started yes. and then quit. Yeah. But they've made the decision to quit before it's bogged them down, drained them of all of their resources. So Seth goes on to say that it's sometimes it, quitting is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's brave and it's the smart decision if it forms part of a larger strategy. But yeah, for me, it was those two elements. One, deciding whether I should continue with it. And and at one point I did. And the next point we didn't, but that was later down the line. And the other one is actually reframing the whole idea of of what quitting actually means. Interestingly, I highlighted um, an excerpt which just fits perfectly with what you've just said. When the pain gets so bad that you're ready to quit, you've set yourself up as someone with nothing to lose. And someone with nothing to lose has quite a bit of power. You can go for broke, challenge authority, attempt unattempted alternatives, lean into a problem, lean so far that you might just lean right through it. And he's right. It's power. Really good. Mm. That that sort of sums it up mm. for me. That's totally. great. Yeah. The the other thing I just quickly mentioned, which is, is something I've always got to be in the bonnet about, is exit strategies. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I pick up from the book is that um, he's, he's not necessarily talking about an exit strategy, but a strategy for quitting. He he reckons you need to come up with that strategy before you actually need it, which I think is very sound advice. Yes, instead of just pulling the plug in a fit of peak or panic or whatever, (laughs) yeah. So the the book is called The Dip by Seth Godin. Godin, I'm going to go with Godin. Godin, And uh, we will put a link for it on the website, thebusiness.community. You're listening to The Business Community on Callan FM and this is the part of the show where we talk about a business guru. Now, we have to admit that we've struggled a little bit. We might have referred to it over the last couple of shows in defining what a guru is. Mm, Um, It is tricky. We're not totally sure. So what we're looking for, so far we've come up with people that um, we've noticed along our travels ourselves 
And Peter Drucker, the father of modern management, sort of had to go first. Uh, Ken Blanchard last week. And we've chosen this week somebody who's appeared in my life, not literally, but in, in um, reading and in articles um, since I was at university. And that's a, a gentleman called Charles Handy. Uh, again, the, the other thing we've noticed is a lot of these gurus tend to be... Um, quite old white middle-aged men men, yeah um and perhaps that's a a a social construct it's it's happened because you know they've they've born in the 30s and they've come up so management was a very male dominated area um and i think what we'd like to do is expand our repertoire of business gurus i've found that the thinkers 50 website has been really useful yes that is useful um and we'll be expanding that way but we would like to put a call out to anybody listening Um, if you want to tell us anybody that you'd like us to explore somebody that you think's interesting maybe you know a lot about them you can give us a bit of insight or just say oi i've heard of this person go and do a bit of research and tell me about them and what we'll aim to do is to to do a little bit of research come up with our thoughts on it some of their key thoughts and um some of the key learnings and we'll always end the show with a quote from them so hopefully there'll be a quote uh, every every guru's got a quote yeah, yeah if they haven't got a quote they're not a guru surely no, put no. that on the list <laughs> that's yes. on the list as well yeah. so charles handy um charles i've got a bit of a soft spot for charles handy he appeared a lot in the more um, sociology type work that I did when I was at university um, and he actually describes himself as a social philosopher so I suppose that sort of figures and his first book um, was called Understanding Organisations and it was written in 1976 and he went on to write other books some big ones you might know The Age of Unreason in 1989 The Gods of Management at 1978 but a lot of his stuff is sort of he borrows from other people other people are inspired by him he's inspired by other people you tend to find with all of these things there's there's a bit of a a merging of ideas Mm. um the age of unreason um this is an interesting one um i i mention it particularly because he foresaw the future of discontinuous change now what we're talking about there is actually what we feel well like we know this is the business world at the moment what's going on non-incremental sudden change that drastically alters the way things are all progress depends on unreasonable people he says because (laughs) they're the ones who are going to try and change the world and reasonable people will simply adapt to it Yes. So discontinuous change. He mentioned this in 1989, and I don't think that it was really taken on board, you know, because you know there was a way of doing things. But it really is. It's it's what's going on now. There's so much market disruption. There are so many unreasonable people disrupting the market Mm -hmm. that I think you know he really he was very um, thoughtful in in predicting that. And in a world of change in business and society, he says that our thinking must become as uninhibited and as unreasonable in order to seize the opportunities that this variability presents. So he sees radical, unexpected changes as an opportunity. And again, I think that is, you know, it's it's the talk in the business world at the moment is there's change, there's uncertainty, but there's opportunity in that change and uncertainty. And I think that what what's particularly interesting there is that he's he's encouraging creative thinking you know put it out there it might seem ridiculous on the face of it but it might prompt something you know most good ideas are born out of some crazy harebrained scheme that it's like well actually we couldn't do that but hey we could do this 
or we could do some of that, or what if we tweaked it? What if we did it this way? And I think that's really powerful. I mean, I, I, I think what's interesting about him is that the gurus that we've talked about up until now, they have had business experience and they are what I would call theorists, whereas, whereas Handy seems to attach a much more scientific and um, factual basis to to what he talks about it's interesting actually because um i'm not sure um he's been described in quite the same way i'm just looking at a quote here from a chap called warren bennis he's a guru self-titled yep. management okay. and leadership guru and he says that if peter drucker is responsible for legitimizing the field of management and tom peters for popularizing it Put Tom on the list, will you, Heather? We'll, oh, we'll do it in a couple of yeah, weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Then Charles Handy should be known as the person who gave it a philosophical elegance and eloquence that was missing oh. from the field. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's okay. a slightly different... Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. picked up a different thing. Yeah. Um, and, and perhaps that comes from the way that he explains things. His overarching thesis is, is based on the idea that organisations are not inanimate objects. They're not just bodies they're not just no. a business not just they have a life yeah yep. they're microorganisms of human societies and those who seek to manage and work within these microorganisms must better understand the needs and motivations of the individuals within it and understand how their collective behavior determines organized organizational behavior it's very much about putting the, the personal, the human element onto something that often mm. business can be quite depersonalized. You know, you, you've got yep. this model, that yep. model, you, yep. you make it work. And he very much brought the human nature to Back the to whole it. field. Yeah. Um, one of the interesting areas, I don't know if you've um, picked up on this, is a book he wrote in 1978 called The Gods of Management. And it's a classic model that will fit on a slide and you can take around on a, on a speaking tour. And this is where he categorised organisational cultures based on the gods Zeus, Apollo, Athena and Dionysus. OK, yeah. So Zeus is managed by sheer force of will, respect for leaders' talent and for, you get the pleasure from belonging to the inner circle. So okay. we can all imagine organisations like that. He recommended this works best for small startups. Okay. Thumbs up from yeah. me. Absolutely yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, we all yeah, know a Zeus yeah. organisation. Yeah, yeah. um, an Apollo organisation, this sector is dominated by large corporates with clearly de delineated rules, roles, procedures and management hierarchy. And he quite rightly, I believe, stated that this works best for stable, predictable markets and industries. Athena is the collaborative task-based, flexible teams of professionals who solve problems and then move on to the next one. So here we're looking at consulting firms, ad agencies, that yeah, sort of idea. Yeah. And Dionysus, I like this one, the existential independent specialist who only enters an organisation to achieve their own purpose. And it's best whether individual talent is at a premium and people are actively encouraged to work independently. And he says that conflicts arise when those cultures mix inappropriately or the management styles or you try to introduce something into into the wrong organization. Yep. And so problems with changing cultures means that other organizational structures will need to evolve. And so he did come up with other models as well. But that was his mm -hmm, starting mm -hmm. point. Zeus, Apollo, Athena and, and Dionysus. And, and it's often the way, isn't it? Once you once you 
apply these sort of labels, then it st- things start to have a flavour, and it's much easier then to talk about it and describe it. Yeah, you give and a apply metaphor it. For, yeah. for a whole concept, yeah. don't yeah. you? And then, so if you if you're making a metaphor out of an organisation, you can give it a personality, yes. can't you? And it also what it does is it it depersonalises it because now um, instead of saying uh, you, you're you're saying well, you know, your department is this type of department, or you as an individual is this type of person, and how does it all map? So it's not a Tracy or a Heather or a what or a why. It's 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 a, it's a very clever way yeah. of depersonalizing things whilst focusing right in on the people within an organisation. Yeah, like it. And a couple of weeks ago, we, when we talked about um, Peter Drucker, we talked about some of the things that he mentioned. Um, he mentioned outsourcing beforehand. Mm-hmm. So as early as 1978, Charles Handy was talking about the same sorts of things, outsourcing and subcontracting. He also talked about homeworking. Yeah. Um, and these portfolio yeah. careers, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is something I've been aspiring to. You know, it, it's been there, something that I, I'd wanted to do from quite an early age. Yeah. And um, he was talking about that. More later thinking, there's something that's really captured my imagination. And he's he's written about and talked about the fact that this hasn't caught on yet, but it's going to have to catch on. And and it sort of gives me a little bit of a spark of hope in a way as well. Um, and and this is that the whole notion of shareholders as an owner of a company, he says, is an outdated fiction. So the purpose of a business is not simply to make a profit. Yeah. He says that most shareholders never put any money actually into the business. They simply trade their shares with other traders separate to the business Mm -hmm. itself. So they deserve a return on their investment, but they don't deserve a say in the running of the business. And the power with running the business should reside with the founders and the employees. And he calls that the community. Yeah, that's really. We, we, my husband and I were talking last night about the guy who um, set up Amazon and how many gazillions of pounds that he's worth, uh, which is you know a massive amount of money. But then I, we were having this conversation, and I said, "Yeah, but he's not actually worth that. He owns, I think, he owns sixteen percent of Amazon now. Uh, but he's not actually worth that because." his money is tied up in that organization people's livelihoods stock all of all of those things so it's not just the money thing yes it's a shareholding and yes it's it's um an ownership but it's not it's not just the financially he's in bed what do you want to do if you want to realize all that money what are you going to do it's only if somebody wants to buy the business that that's gonna or buy into the business that that's going to realize itself Interesting. Yeah, that's why interesting. I like Charles Handy. All of that, and he's you know he's still coming up with this stuff. But as usual, we're going to finish the show with a couple of quotes, which are our favourites from Charles Handy. Heather, you go first. My favourite one is uh, being a consultant. Uh, a consultant solves other people's problems. I could never do that. I want to help other people solve their own problems. I think that you know that has to be the way, doesn't it? That has to be the way. And I'm going to finish with, you have to stand outside the box to see how the box can be redesigned. Thank you very much, Charles Handy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all good. All good. Uh, Yeah, I I think he's a really interesting character. And I guess we're out of time now. Yeah, we're at the end of the show. Wow, that time End of show flew. three. End of show three. <laughs> time flew. Well, I guess that all that remains is for us to wish you a good week and let you know that we'll be back in the studio next week with the business community.